Let's talk about Yom uh, Yerushalayim. It's something which, uh, as time ch- has become, the event has become more distant, uh, the response has changed as well. as well. If you look at the Rabbanim at the time, how they responded to it, and in the approximately 50-something years since then, you'll see there's been a general shift in the way people relate to it. That will explain the factors for that as well. So firstly, what's the significance? So, we know that the period before that, when Klaish didn't have access to the old city, to the council, so even though we had some measure of independence there in Israel, but of course it was like a, a gift with, so to speak, like the Gemara says, that we lost the, the, the Makamah we lost the ability to daven at the council or the connection to all the Makamah Sakadoshim. And then, in a way which was seen clearly as miraculous, not just by us, but by everybody throughout the world, suddenly within two days, we got all back again. So the first hakara was that Ki'ilo was something which was a nice in a way that we, the war was won, and uh, that they, were, that they had the opportunity once again to have, in, like I said, in all the Mukhammad Sagadash and show, which they didn't have until then. So what's the, what, what's the right way to respond to that? So there were, there, there were those Rabbadim at the time, even people we consider Gudayim, who felt that that's something a person has to recognize. Something a person has to recognize because it's a sign that Baruch is giving us another chance. All the places which, are, which had been which until then we didn't have. Now, does that necessarily mean that we have to say halal? No. We have to tuck in halal for every mess. We have to tuck in halal for a total of Kali Israel. So that's, it's not necessarily the right to say halal. That was a different discussion. But uh, whether it was the right thing to recognize that as a day where a nice happened, the, the prevalent feeling at the time was yes. Especially if you remember that the feeling in Eretz Yisrael, and I've heard this from people who were here at the time, was that people thought they were going to get killed. The government had allocated a huge section along the Tel Aviv Yishlaim Highway as a basic forest. Kilometers and kilometers. They thought thousands and thousands of people were going to get killed. The fact that they won was, like I said, a miracle which they themselves didn't expect. Definitely not in the way it happened. I'll call upon him. So therefore, definitely, the feeling at the time was there was a tremendous Akarasatuk. That was on the, on the part of the Premier. How did the, let's say, secular establishment in Israel look at it? So even though during the war, they also spoke about and received about miracles, once the war was safely over, so then, of course, everyone takes pride. And the Air Force thought how wonderful they were, and the intelligence thought how wonderful they were, and the paratroopers thought how wonderful they were, and everything else. And I heard from Revolver once, that what, even at, at the time, there was a certain hakara of Nisim, 
he gets forgotten and people take credit for Kirat and we won the war, we read it and whatever everything else. And therefore it became uh, it became more something which people looked at as a victory of the IDF or a victory of the army or whatever it was, our military ability, which they themselves couldn't really explain how all the or everything worked. Yes, they managed to do preemptive strikes, whatever it was. But there were a lot of cases with the way that they were successful was something which they themselves didn't expect. The ones that became more of a thing, so then it became more, at uh, least uh, seen by the the state as a sign of we powerful and a sign of how strong the Israeli army is or however it's going to get looked at. Now, that was at the time. With the passage of time, it became political in the sense that at, even though at the time no one was talking about giving back the old city or anything else, but as time went on and it became more of a, the Arabs realized that they're not going to win by force and they have to work through international diplomacy and it became more and more of a thing to you know, give back all the land that they won in 1967. So then it became more of a political thing to prove that we, we still have Yerushalayim. We're not going to give back Yerushalayim. And therefore, more and more, it developed into a political statement. That we're in charge of the old city, and that uh, it's a way of uh, showing that we're still in charge, we're not giving it up, whatever it's going to be, which is why it became, as opposed to something which wasn't necessarily of a political nature, it became more politicized. Especially now, the whole march they have is basically to show we're in charge of the old city, which is political. It's nothing to do with... Uh, particularly remembering what happened. It's definitely nothing to do with remembering the nice that happened, or the fact that we have the opportunity to, to dive in at the coast. It's become a, a way of showing, like a, making a political statement that we're not giving up also, which is why obviously it antagonizes the Arabs every year. Now, that's the background. Let's look a little bit at the Hashkafa on a number of the points. Firstly, is it the right thing to thank Hashem for a nice? Even if the, the way that it came about was through uh, through the human being, the human means, it wasn't through Nesimnashamai, which means something supernatural. It came about through people. Was it the right thing to thank Hashem? That's like I said, a lot of the gudayim at the time held yes. Might have come in how it happened. But at the end of the day, we recognize it as being a nurse. And if that's the case, it's something we should be grateful for. Especially, like I said, if you see it in terms of the fact that we are denied the ability to dive in or the ability to come to coastal until then, and now it's being given back to us as a seen as a certain Esratim. A seen as a certain Esratim. The only one at the time, the only one at the time who was against being Maki or anything to do with the, with the victory was the Satan River, who, because it involved the country, so he held that it's the Mesa Satan. But, uh, okay, that was relating the facts. I know that a lot of the Gedonites shall didn't agree with that. It's not a massive sotan, it's a nest. We have to thank Hashem for a nest. Why Hashem brought a nest in such a means? It's a different question. We can't deny the fact that there was a nest. What does Maisa Sotan actually mean? Maisa Sotan means that, is that it comes as a new sign. I'm saying, is there a precedent for that in, uh, in Jewish history? Of Maisa Sotan? Not so, not. Like the Chet Egel was a Maisa Sotan. No, but that's something that we did. We had a choice. Well, we always had a choice. The Sotan set it up. Saying that's something that we, with our Mubachir, decided to do. We're talking about a nest. 
Can the Sultan, or the Sultan, let, let him see them? Sounds like the Sultan has a shkafa. Uh, the Sultan has the ability to do things. Now we have to decide how we're going to respond to it. Uh, I gave you as an example because there it says that the Sultan showed in the midst of Moshe Rabbeinu in the sky. So then he influenced the Bukhir, but they had the Bukhir. Of course it's not Bukhir. You can do things. Okay, but I'm saying besides that, it wasn't, especially not Targosh of people here who felt the nest, that they weren't, their lives were saved as well. A lot, a lot of the ones who were here at the time. What's your names? But it's a lot of Sibes Achrank, for example, people like that. Rabbanu Shalayim who held the what to be Makutay before. Now, in a way, even though across the board, no one felt that Yamat Sword, for example, was something to celebrate because there was no Hatsala, there was no Nes. That was just something political, something uh, of a, uh, which the let's say independence day which was they may have decided when to could declare independence and to do it had no significance to the day. Here they did see a certain significance to the day. Of course. No, of course. But they don't say what's the Indian to make it on such a day. Now, that's the first point. Now let's look at the second point. And that is when when turned, now became a, a day of making a political statement that uh, we want to hold it, we're not going to give back land, we're going to be, we, we show we're still in charge, we don't, we, we don't want to compromise that Yishalayim. Is that the right Ashkafo or not? Is that the right Ashkafo or not? So this topic has come up over the years because there have been various attempts, none too successful so far, and trying to broker peace treaties with the various uh, enemies. Sometimes, for example, with Egypt, they took them, did make a peace treaty, and they gave up the whole Sinai for that. So when, uh, when, when it comes to the question of is it Kedai to make peace with the Arabs, and at what ex- is it Kedai to give up land for that? In other words, to give back whatever parts we conquered in order to do that. So yes, I know it's a very uh, opinionated topic, Everyone is very strong and starting to say about it. Let me just tell you the stories which are of the Gedolim, or the various different opinions of various Gedolim about this. And uh, without taking any specific side in the story, I'll tell you how the story went. Number one, what's the halachic problem with giving up land, if there is one? Is it also to give back land there to Israel to God? So, from a halachic point of view, they always bring one of two arguments. The one is that the first is in the Torah called Leitachanim. Leitachanim, which is one of the ways the Gemara interprets that, don't give them land. There's a shah. And that's that. If you have a house in the French Hill and you want to sell it to an Arab, it's awesome. You know that to sell property near Israel to go. So the argument goes that's applying to one individual sale. In Kalvachem, you can't wholesale, give away a big part of land to go. That's the, the one argument which is always brought as a as a reason not to give a guy that's Israel. Now, that's a clear halakhic question. So, on principle, it's true. You can't give away land Israel, you can't sell land to Israel. So that's for sure true, that there's a sudden halakhic. But what the counter side is, we'll see in a moment. The other side that they bring, and that is uh, something which is hashkafic more, and that is, if a Kodesh Baruch gives you something, the way it's orchestrated events that we have here, it's a stroll. So we're not meant to give it away. It's like you know, reversing the Matana Hashem game. Why giving it back again? 
those are the two two starting not to give back out there to show. Uh, there were those proponents of this set. Interestingly, one of the most uh, vocal opinions, not that it's also under any circumstance to give out to show, was the Babich Rebbe. This is well known. This is one of his uh, his well known opinions. Right. But that was, that, those are the, the, the points of why would be awesome. Now, what's the other side of the argument? What would be the side which would, there would be a hat to give back hats? So, the obvious counter to that is if you have an enemy who wants to kill you and you're going to placate them by giving them property, so then it's saving your life. And if that's the case, so in Achinami, there's a side not to give back hats. And it's only Easter of the Tachanim, but it's not Yarav al Yavah. And therefore, if you're going to consider the alternative to be people are going to get killed, so then it's the it's lesser of the two evils. Now, the question always is, the question always is, uh, if, if how true is that argument? In other words, how much is it really pekuach nefesh? And what's more important is how much is giving back land going to prevent the pekuach nefesh? Now, that needs a certain shukra dash, and I'll tell you why. Because any kind of deal that has to be based on a certain uh, awareness that both parties are going to keep to the deal. Otherwise, you haven't gained anything. And if that's the case, if you have a deal with, and you understand that you're going to respect your terms of the deal, and they're going to respect their terms of the deal, so if that's the case, so then, then you can decide is it a good deal or not. But if you're negotiating a deal where it's quite clear that no one, but definitely the other side is not going to respect their terms of the deal, you're wasting your time before you start. Because it's not, it's, we have all the arguments of if it's a good deal or not, it's not going to work if the other side's not going to respect it. Which is why. When it came to the, the how the Gudonim felt about the peace treaty with Egypt back in the 70s, even though they weren't necessarily the ones pushing it, but at the time, nevertheless, they were, the, the, Rav Shach was asked about it. And his answer was that uh, Egypt's a country which, if they can make a proper deal with it, which is going to be backed up by international guarantee, so then, it's, yes, it's worth giving back land to make peace, because at the time, Egypt was considered the most formidable enemy of all the Arab nations. They were the ones who started both the Sixth and the Kippur War. And if that's the case, if they can actually make peace and will leave us alone, we're saving a lot of lives. Which is, uh, historically, he was, he was proven to be right, even though we lost the whole Sinai for it. But the Maestro, since then, Egypt has been an ally, not an enemy. And uh, we don't know what could have been otherwise. There have been enough other wars with other countries which Egypt kept out of. Kept out of. So if it's a shadow of Pikach Nefesh, that's more important. That was the second argument. Why, on the whole, all later deals that we've never been against is because they hold that, like I said, there's no one to make a deal with. Because you're not talking about a country. You're not talking about somebody who has an authority that they can enforce what they're doing anyway. So who are you talking to? Especially when uh, all the various terrorist groups who they're making deals with that are, are claiming clearly they don't intend to keep to their deals. It's just the first step in trying to get back with them as much as they can. So then what's the negotiation? I mean, for example, when they decided to pull out of Gaza, so it was done unilaterally without asking anyone else's advice. But at the time, the opinion of Gdari Israel was for sure not to do it. And the reason is Pashat. What's the guarantee you're getting back for it? All you're doing is you, they never promised, even, they didn't even promise at the time they would, they would give up terrorism. They definitely didn't. They just turned the whole place into a terror, into a, a terror, a terrorist producing factory. So what do they get? 
You gave back and you didn't save anybody's life. So that, that's the cheshbon. Now, that's, uh, that'll be the second point I wanted to talk about, and that is, on the principle is it Asura Motza, like I said, there were shitters in both directions. Most of the Gdomenites Israel held that if you can be convinced it's going to save lives, that takes precedence. Now, that's talking about a different country. When it comes to talking about an internal enemy, which is a fractured group as a society group, and they haven't agreed to anything between themselves, so then who are you talking to? That's the one thing. The other interesting point to mention is Rav Shach said this publicly more than once, and he said that he's scared about peace with the Arabs in Israel. He says, because this is going to be a one-way road to intermarriage. He said, right now, when we consider each other enemies and we keep apart, so that curbs the amount of assimilation in Israel a lot. But if Arabs and Jews would live as friends completely in mixed cities, the assimilation rate would be much higher. But that's a side point. Now, the last one I want to talk about, and that is, even if we don't hold that it's necessarily the right thing to give back land, it's definitely not the right circumstances for that, is it the right thing to flaunt in the Arabs' face, look, we're still in charge, and I kind of invite them to, to retaliate. So, again, this is only, this is only political. There's, no, there's not, nothing else behind it except for trying to make a political statement. And is it clever? No, it's not. It's not, but for one reason, which is brought in the Gemara, and for two other reasons, which are logical, we'll talk about. Number one, the Gemara says that one of the things Kai Israel was instructed to do in Golis is Altis which means even if you're in a situation where you're successful, as there were times in Golis that you were, and if you're wealthier than your Arab neighbors or Goyish neighbors, as there were many times, even today, where Kai Israel are much wealthier than their surrounding Goyim, or even in places where Kai Israel are in a position of authority. Which means don't provoke the guy. Don't provoke the guy because the Matthias says you're still in Goddess. And uh, if you want to marshal for this, right, the rule, as whoever lives in Shalim knows that there's a Iriad who has all kinds of rules of what you can do and you can't do in your house and whatever else it is. And if you break the law, they can come and smash it down. Except most times people do it, they like and get away with it because uh, no one brings the Iriad to make a complaint. But Perega, there's going to be a, an issue and they're going to bring them down and make complaints and they're going to, they're going to take, take, take action, whatever they're going to do. Right, don't, so don't provoke them. Leave them alone, I'll leave you alone. And it's the same thing with the Xerius Goddess. I'm saying this it was a marshal, but the Ramban says this. The Xerius Goddess is a Zohol. But there are times where even in Goddess, Kaisal can be successful and Kaisal can be wealthy and Kaisal can be in positions of authority. And the main thing is, as long as they're going on complaining, but if you're going to provoke them and then you're going to wake them up and say, what's going on here? We're in charge. And I'm talking in the spiritual sense. The star of the Umus is going to say, what you, I'm, these people are in Godless, they're under me. And suddenly they're going to take a position of authority and lord it over us, whatever it is, to their success. So then things are going to change. That itself can be a reason why Kaishal will lose what they've got. Which is why there were many times in the times of the Akronim, you'll see Takonas that they made them between themselves, in Jewish Chikahilas, not to try and show up in a way that the going would uh, get jealous or would, uh, would, would front or bring unnecessary attention to them. It's considered not a clever thing to do. And like I said, the Gemara says it's also not to be scared of Messiah. So then for sure, to do things like that to show our success or how strong we are, is being misguided that's not a clever thing to do. That's the first point. That's a Shaila. That goes back to it's one of the arguments that there uh, was not to create a Jewish state. That, uh, even if we're going to say that there was a necessity to do that, 
Here there's no necessity. But that's the first. That's uh, the first issue. Uh, the second issue. The second issue is, and that is, forget about the going for a second. Right? We, and that's why I began the share the way I did. If you look at Yom Yerushalayim as being a day to be makitav with Hashem for a nice. So then what's the right way to thank Hashem for a nice? Right? To, to have a mixed match, which is, uh, which is the only point of it is to show how strong we are, is basically telling Hashem Kulei Yadi. Which is why like, I've, people have asked me about it, even if they come from a more Mizrahi background. So you, you, maybe, if it's, you know, you, forget about the Arabs. It's completely the wrong thing to do. What are you trying to show off? That we're so strong. If you want to be Makitava for an ace, then realize Hashem did an ace. And if you don't think like that, then look at the people at the time who lived through the war and see what they said at the time they won. Hashem did an ace. The way to respond to an ace isn't to work. You know, to have a mixed march of everyone dressed in appropriately, waving flags and showing we're in charge. It's not the way to thank Hashem for this either. That's uh, that's the second point. And then the last point. The last point. And uh, this is just a, again a practical point. And that is that uh, the. The, the mile of doing something, whatever it's going to be, is always judged by what are you going to achieve by what you do, and then does it, is it worth you know, the possibility of achieving it, or what you might lose for it, and then you can work out, the, uh, so to speak, uh, pros and cons, and see is it worthwhile or not. Is it worthwhile or not? And if that's the case, so then, it, like, as in anything else, you want to do something, you have to think, what are the possible benefits this can have? What are the possible negative things it can cause? And then look at that. And if that's okay, let's go back to the other thing we said before. And that is, if you're going to risk a situation where you're putting someone's life in danger, or many people's lives in danger, so then what are you doing which is worthwhile to justify that? You know, what's, what's the, that's, the, that's the risk. That's the con. What's the pro? What are you achieving? I don't feel like I'm in charge anyway. How's it going to change your daily lives? What are they going to do? Like I said, it's not like it's a, they won something. It's a, whatever, we, we, we're still in charge. They're not going to be able to. It's not the soldiers. It's not the soldiers. On the contrary, they had to consign a thousand more soldiers in the army to protect us. We're now spreading the nets and uh, fighting with Arabs and Harabais because uh, they're protecting us. It's political, it's not a morale boost. So what would David say would be the appropriate way of being makir? Makir taifa? I say thank you to Hashem, however you want to do that. Saying, why not say halal? Why not say nazi Because there, there are rules in halal. We only say halal for a sort of guys, not for an ex. There are lots of other nisim which have been as a halal for. But uh, if you want to be back with that, however you want to do it. That wasn't a total of Kaiser? Debatable. I'm saying we said that thousands and thousands of graves. Yeah. Which day exactly was a total of Kaiser? This was something else. They liberated Yerushalayim. That was when they were on the offense. So they, they won back there. They weren't defending themselves at that stage. I'm saying, whatever day could be. Uh, we can talk about that. that. We can talk was... about that, maybe. If it was Taka, a total of Kaiser, then maybe it's Makhu What about not saying Taka? Because it's the same thing. So you're close together? Yeah. There are many days things that happen to Kaiser. 
the rules when we say tachnim. Uh, we, we use a lot of dispensation for not saying tachnim. Uh, no, we don't use it. We're not using it. <laughs> if you look at the halachas of tachnim, the rules that they, twelve days here we don't say tachnim, but that's for shkodesh niyantzef bezel. All the others we say tachnim. If you're looking for every excuse in the world and say tachnim, maybe we can use this as well. I just. <laughs> 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 <laughs>